The Method of Biblical Counseling on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions to the problems that people face. This week on the podcast, we are continuing to discuss uh, the definition of biblical counseling. We have broken the definition up into three portions. Uh, Dr. Sam Stevens is here with me, our Director of Training Center Certification, and we are discussing this idea of definition of biblical counseling. And uh, we do this just to simply attempt to make clarity. And again, we're not perfect. Uh, I'm actually a little disappointed, Sam, that that, uh, our definition is not longer, so we couldn't have this discussion for more weeks because this has been quite fun. But We've, we get to the third section where we try to describe the method. Okay, what does this look like? Often we are critiqued um, in the biblical counseling world from those who are in the integrationist world or even the secular world uh, to say that, that biblical counseling really doesn't have a methodology. The Bible doesn't explain um, what we should do in a counseling setting. You know, I think that's an unfortunate perspective, and um, we, we try to address that in simple terms here. Uh, I'm actually working right now on fleshing that out in more of a full-length uh, book that I hope to uh, to release sometime next year. And when we think about this, this idea of the goal and what we're aiming at, there has to be a means by which we do it. When we say the Bible is sufficient, we would argue that the Bible does have methodology. The reason that we get critiqued on this often, I think, has to do with uh, the lens by which we're seeing. We think that the methodology that has been given to us by secularists in their terms of techniques and, and methodology and approaches uh, is the same sort of way that, that that has to be dealt with in the Scriptures. And, and I would argue that that sort of gets the cart before the horse. Um, our experiences uh, should not be compiled into a system uh, that we superimpose onto the Bible. Actually, what should happen is we look at the Scripture uh, for methodology and for understanding of humanity, uh, and then that should inform the way that we interact with anything outside of the Scripture. And, and that's really, in simplicity, what we're trying to do here when we talk about the method of biblical counseling. Now, I'm going to read the definition. We'll get to that final section just so that that our listeners can uh, be reminded of what we talked about in previous weeks. And the definition goes like this, the fullness of it. Biblical counseling is the personal discipleship ministry of God's people to others under the oversight of God's church, dependent upon the authority and sufficiency of God's Word through the work of the Holy Spirit. Biblical counseling seeks to reorient desires, affections, and behaviors toward a God-designed anthropology in an effort to restore true worship of God and right fellowship with others. This is accomplished by speaking the truth in love and applying Scripture to the need of the moment by comforting the suffering and calling sinners to repentance, thus working to make them mature as they abide in Christ." And so we want to turn our attention, Sam, to the, to the final portion here where we're describing the method. How is this accomplished? Uh, what do we actually do? And, and the first section that we want to talk about is something that we've used for quite some time in this world of biblical counseling, particularly in the modern biblical counseling movement. And in fact, uh, 
our podcast is named after this very verse in the in the desire of this very verse to speak the truth in love. And that is uh, one of our primary guiding factors when we think about method of biblical counseling, uh, that we want to approach this by speaking the truth to our counselee in love. Can you talk about why uh, that's an aim of ours when we talk about counseling. We could have an entire podcast just on that phrase. Yes, for sure. <laughs> um, and and you, you joked about us uh, making this definition long enough. I think many of our coworkers thought, you know, that was this is kind of part and parcel with what we do. So I'm not too surprised by that, but it's what PhD does to you. But speaking the truth and love, there, there's so much to unpack here. And, and this very much speaks to the means matter and mode of our counseling. Now, we can unpack this further, but we'll stick with kind of the the surface level for the moment. Uh, When we think about this, practically speaking, regarding the means of counseling, biblical counseling as a distinctive is didactic in nature. And what I mean by that is it's instructional. We are teaching. We are training. This is discipleship, like we talked about in, in our first podcast of this series. Um, and that's actually yeah. in in comparison to some of the the uh, secular models that have gained ground in Christian thinking, where uh, you know in, in Rogerian therapy, for example, where uh, it, it's really intended to just you be a facilitator and you allow the person to have some sort of self discovery in process along the way as you're right. client centered and person centered, um, not giving any type of instruction at all. That's seen as authoritarian and and not healthy. Uh, we're saying something different. Well, even in the other two waves as well, I mean, behavioristic approaches and even depth psychologies where you're plunging the depths of the unconscious and things like that, uh, that gets gets really uh, messy. And, and there is, but at the, the end of the day, there's no plumb line. There's nothing that we're that, that we are saying objectively we are seeking to to realign, reorient mm-hmm. our lives too. And that's what makes, again, biblical counseling distinct. Um, this is a, a truth claim that all of wisdom and truth is found in God, mm-hmm. the all-wise one, and the Word is uh, His uh, means of revealing that truth to us. And so that's what we're doing. Now, this doesn't uh, ignore the fact that uh, we are wise listeners. I often tell my counselors early on, I'm going to be doing a lot of listening in the first few sessions, uh, especially if, they, if they've had any secular counseling. I want to make sure they understand that listening is not going to be in the humanistic vein where I'm listening and repeating back and just going to be um, basically reshuffling what they've already told me. I'm listening with a purpose. Um, I want to listen with care. I want to listen with compassion and concern, but I also want to filter their worldview through what the Bible says. And so that's going on, of course, all the time. But even in the first session, I'm giving them hope. I'm giving them the gospel. And this goes back to our first session as well. The wisdom of counseling in the protection and the integrity and the institution of the church is that I can give people Jesus first, and I don't have to be apologetic about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I give them the gospel, and and I don't have to wiggle around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the church. This is what we're doing. Soul care is the practice and, and, the, and the purpose of what we're doing. So it's didactic. That's the means of it. The matter is the Bible. Mm-hmm the Bible alone. And this is really important. Um, we've talked about this. You mentioned this too. We've, we've talked about secularists, integrationists, and by, of course, uh, the secular world is against what we're doing. <laughs> this is uh, the, the kingdom of the world is often depicted in, in conflict with the kingdom of God, in, uh, you know, as, it, as we know it today. But I find that uh, by, by far uh, our loudest uh, objectors and critics are people in the church. Mm-hmm. 
this saddens me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it grieves my heart. I can't tell you how, how many nights I, I, I just am very grieved in my heart. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest critiques I hear in, in different, different uh, ways that it's expressed is that we use the Bible too much. Mm-hmm. And it, it really, I'll never fully understand it, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. why that's such a large critique. But I think it's born out of, again, a misunderstanding of sufficiency mm-hmm. and, and actually inerrancy as well. Mm-hmm. But the, we go to the Bible for not just practical application and means, but again, this is the goal of biblical counseling. Uh, we don't worship the Bible. This is what's often lobbed against people who would be identified as fundamentalists or, or biblicists or words that have been used, unfortunately, in negative ways in the past. Uh, we don't worship the Bible, but the Bible is the means of revelation. God gave us the Bible. Without the Bible, we wouldn't know the Christ of the Bible. We wouldn't know who Jesus was, um, our need for him. The Gospels articulated in the very words of God. So as biblical counselors, we should stress and we should emphasize um, the content by which we're translating and counseling should be born out of biblical language, terminologies, concepts, and frameworks. That's exactly right. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So when we talk about this aspect of speaking the truth, uh, it, it is something specific. We are talking about the words that come from God because he is the only true being. He's the only true one. He, he consistently tells the truth. That is his character. He is the truth. Uh, it's his being. So when we talk about speaking the truth, uh, that's what we mean. We're, we are talking about that which God in his kindness has given in revelation to us. And, and if we can't see that in the modern world right now, that it's the only uh, clarifying Right. thing that we have in humanity. Culture is running amok, and it is so chaotic and confusing, but the Scriptures speak the truth. Now, there's a danger here. I want to speak to our counselors, and I think this is a wise warning that our definition helps to hold us accountable as individuals. And, and the pitfall is that we speak the truth and not love, That's right. or the opposite, mm-hmm. that we speak love and no truth. Uh, and all those things can be done with well-intention, But we have to be careful that that's not the method of the Scripture. The method of the Scripture ties these two things together. In the same way in which we worship God uh, in spirit and in truth, we are also to counsel methodologically by speaking truth, God's Word, in love, motivated by love for the person, care, compassion, kindness toward the person. Sometimes speaking the truth is hard. But we always ought to do that with the person knowing full well that we have their best interests in mind, that we love them deeply, and we want to see the Lord do a mighty work in their heart and mind. Mm-hmm. The flip side is also true, where we want to speak in love. We've heard the the uh, the, the critiques of the biblical counseling movement, and, and you guys speak too much truth, you're very harsh, and all this kind of stuff, and, and we just want to be overly loving. Now, that's important, and I'm not minimizing that. We need to be loving. That is absolutely critical, but by the same token, we also have have to be careful in the way in which we go about doing that. If we're just simply loving the person without speaking the truth, we're giving them no guidance, and that in and of itself, by definition, is not really loving them. Uh, and so we have to make sure that we couple these two things together. And that, that's something that's a warning uh, for us who are committed to biblical counseling. We can have and get in get into tendencies, if you will, um, moving in that direction where we, we allow the seesaw to sort of swing in one direction. Uh, as opposed to another. And we have to be careful to make sure we're tethered to both 
by the word, um, speaking the truth in love. Now, we move forward, and the goal then becomes, uh, as we speak the truth in love, to help the person apply Scripture to the need of the moment. And, and those clarifying clauses are really important. Sam, talk for a minute about applying the Scripture to the need of the moment. Yes, um, the Bible is personal and practical, and so should we be. Uh, biblical counseling is theology applied. So we are, of course, teaching uh, various doctrinal truths. We want to make sure that their confession is correct, but we want to make sure that they're living out that confession. And often uh, we see that disparity, something that they say they believe, but it's not practiced in their life in some way. And so I love the way that we phrase this in the definition, applying Scripture for the to the need of the moment. That covers life. Mm-hmm. Um, we've mentioned this time and time again. So often we talk to people, and when they explain to us and describe their problems uh, as unique as they are, uh, they're shocked many times when we say, not, not at all minimizing that pain, but we say, that is the stuff of life. Mm-hmm. Life is truly hard. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not being ironic with that statement. Mm -hmm. And do you know, I often get uh, a sigh of relief from counselees. Thank you Mm -hmm. for for agreeing with me. This is hard. Mm -hmm. But the scriptures can be applied to everything that we face in this life. And so there is great comfort in there, but also, as you mentioned, in in speaking the truth in love, there's also a calling out and a confrontation of sin. And, and just to go back to what you said, truth and love are are these are united sisters. These are not these are not two opposing thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, we we see them united together in scripture. Goodness, read Paul. Mm-hmm. Paul who spoke forcefully and truthfully, but such compassion and weeping over the people in, in whom he might be at that time chiding. Uh, but again, the goal of biblical counseling should always be in mind that the counselor and the counselee are both striving to grow in maturity. We're striving to become uh, more and more holy. And so we're united in that effort. So comforting, calling, confrontation. And then also, I want to point this out as well, that biblical counseling is not clinical. And this is a, a big, um, I think, a big temptation that, that really modern soul care has always struggled with. This, well, we want to look, we want to look very much like professional, credentialed, uh, well-respected, if you will, counseling approaches. So we have to be clinical in our approach. I've actually had trainees ask me, Sam, is it okay for me to counsel my family members? Mm-hmm. And um, of course it is. That's our responsibility as believers. Uh, but we, there's this distance in this professional uh, uh, context that we're, 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 we're trying to set in place. But when we think about applying Scripture to the need of moment, we're thinking about uniquely Christian ministry. We're thinking about transparency. We're thinking about carrying one another's burdens. We're thinking about correcting and teaching, but again, with purity and reconciliation and restoration in mind. And so all of those things are bound up in the purpose of the Scriptures. That's right, and it's important for us to to see. Uh, for example, p- part of what we're describing here is biblical counseling has been criticized uh, by, by uh, in some circles to say, you know, we take one passage of scripture and you know say, hey, go read this and call me in the morning. We'll see how you're doing. Uh, that that is not the idea of biblical counseling. The, the Bible is a book of wisdom, God's wisdom. It, it's delivered to us in precepts, principles commands, promises. Uh, It is a book of wisdom by which we don't take everybody in some sort of profession. And and this is what the world wants, in some sort of professional mentality where we say, uh, the way in which we treat anxiety is step one, two, three, four, five. Or the way in which we treat this issue of depression is step six, seven, and eight. 
Uh, that's not how the Bible works. So you can't just take Philippians 4, 6, and 7 and regurgitate it in the same language with the same script for every person who's struggling with this issue of, of anxiety. Uh, we're taking the, the truth of Scripture and making sure that we're applying it into the case context of this person's life because right. this person's story, uh, although they're exhibiting similar manifestations of their flesh like any of us would, uh, their story and how they arrived at that is a very different puzzle that's been put together in the way that their life has been lived, the experiences that they have, the knowledge base that they have at this moment, where they are in their walk with the Lord, how mature they are or not. Uh, all those things come to bear. So when we talk about Scripture uh, being applied to the need of the moment, Scripture is not just intellectual and and we can form our mind to that and that's it. It is something that is to be applied to life, teaching the person how to now take this Scripture in the context of their life, where they are, where they are at this particular moment, at this crossroad in their life, and teaching them to, to walk by it. That's what we mean when we say for the need of the moment. And, and we do this, we wanted to make some clarifying statements here uh, by comforting those who are suffering and calling sinners. We do see those two categories in the Scripture. That's undeniable. Uh, so when we talk about sin, uh, all of we who suffer or have personal sin, we're, we're under this guise of the effect of the fall, that what I call the corporate sin. Um, and so when we talk about suffering and we, we talk about us personal, our personal sin, uh, it's all under the guise that, that we struggle with sin and the curse of it. And so we wanted to make sure we included these two categories uh, for the purpose of clarifying. And, and what we're doing is we're trying to comfort those who are suffering. That's the appropriate posture of Scripture, something like uh, Paul would describe in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, but then also calling sinners to repentance. And those two things, again, are like a seesaw where sometimes we have the tendency to swing in one direction or the other. I think that's biblically inappropriate where we have to really focus on uh, in this need of the moment, what is, uh, what is this person's issue? And we have to approach this person in both of those ways because let's take, for example, somebody who has been abused. It, it could be very clear that they are absolutely suffering, but may they, have, uh, they may have responded in some sort of sinful way. So now we have, to, we have both of these elements existing, and we have to uh, respond scripturally into both of those categories, and that's just a very important approach as we think about methodology in the Scripture. And, and we're not calling a, uh, a sufferer to repentance, right? We're, we're calling those who, when they respond in sin, to repentance. Right. Uh, we're not calling a sinner uh, by comfort. We're calling them to repentance. These categories are absolutely critical. Well, and to be, to be uh, practical in the moment regarding this, uh, one thing that I find is very helpful, again, going back to our podcast last week on the goal of biblical counseling, when I keep that goal in view— that regard, regardless if, if I'm dealing with a sufferer or sinner, often a combination of both, mm -hmm. they understand that I truly care and love them. Mm -hmm. And I find a heart that's much more receptive. If, if I treat someone very statically, and, and again, in that clinical context type of way, uh, there's no buy-in, there's no relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when they see that we're both sojourners on the same journey and we're both traversing the, the difficulties of this life, just trying to be faithful mm -hmm. day by day, there is a brotherhood there. Mm -hmm. there. There's family there. And again, again, going back to the church, can't, you can't emphasize that enough. We are a family on that same journey mm -hmm. with the same hope. I was reading in the Psalms this morning, where does our hope come from? Yeah. We are all looking to the hill. We're looking to the hills where our help, help comes from, and that is the Lord. So um, I find that 
you know, regardless of, of, of how we're counseling and in what situation our counselees are in, when that goal is kept in the forefront of our minds, um, we can walk that path together. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we, we come to the conclusion uh, of our definition with this final statement, thus all of this working together uh, to make the person mature as they abide in Christ. And, and that's really the issue, Sam, when we, when we boil it down, is uh, I believe a healthy person is someone who is consistently growing in maturity. It doesn't mean that they're fully mature right now. Uh, it means that we are in that process of being conformed to the image of Christ, and we're growing in maturity, as Hebrews 5.14 talks about. We're growing in our ability to discern because that's what maturity is. Yes. Discern the difference between the deception of the world and the truth that abides uh, in the Scripture that God has given us to anchor our soul, Hebrews six nineteen, and so we want to teach them, like not just catch fish for them. We want to teach them how to fish. So we want to help them in this situation to grow to maturity, but then also to teach them as as Jesus would call us to in the Scriptures to abide in Him, so that in their life now they can deal with. Uh, things, the trouble that will we know will come in the future of their life as we, we try to teach them to abide in the Lord. Well, and do you know what you just described? Personal discipleship. Yeah, that's right. Right, It goes right back to the, the very beginning of our definition, the beautiful bookends here, uh, that we're on that journey together. Uh, I often articulate it this way, that we are striving together in, in, in the faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're pressing in. It's not perfection. Mm-hmm. I, we've got to get that straight. It's sanctification. Don't get that confused with your justification. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that we're striving together, that you're seeing these, these uh, when we do fall, these efforts to, 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 to get back up, to press into the Holy Spirit, to, to study in the Scriptures, to learn more, to, to grow and mature. And that's really what this is all about. Jesus is the vine, Mm -hmm. and we are the branches. We are not the vine. That distinction is laid out before us. Again, another theme that we see in the Scriptures, God is God and we are not. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful distinction that we can rest in. That's right. And and this isn't an exhaustive expression of the method of biblical counseling. Certainly the Bible has many more detailed expressions. What we're trying to capture is sort of in a broad nature that the Bible does have a method. It does have a, a flow of how we accomplish these things, and we just want to articulate that. So I hope, I hope you've enjoyed the last uh, several weeks as we've tried to nail down this idea of, uh, of the definition of biblical counseling, and particularly this week on the method. You're listening to Truth and Love a podcast of ACBC. Again, the last three weeks, what we've tried to do is talk through this definition of biblical counseling, and we have been incredibly encouraged by many of your comments and your questions, wanting further clarity or wanting to know how this applies to a certain area, and we want to encourage you to keep those coming. That gives us uh, more opportunity to respond to those very specifically in podcasts in the future. So I want to invite you once again this week to send in your questions via email to info at biblicalcounseling.com.